The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and happy Wednesday. We are coming to you live from Salem, New Hampshire, and we have a fun episode in store. We are going to talk about using treats and training. Food. Food and training. Food as reinforcement. Big I, buzz topic. I don't know. This is like gets people going. It's crazy. But first, we're going to start with the quirky tip of the day. Anybody that knows how to train a dog doesn't use food. <laughs> don't start. Scott's going to play Peter Kane. All right. Quirky tip of the day. My quirky tip is um, if you play chuck it with your dogs and you use the chuck it balls, they have these breathe right chuck it balls. I don't know if you can see, but they actually have holes in them. I'm sticking my fingers through the ball now. And these are designed so that the air and everything can get through them so the dogs can't get them collapsed in their throat, like stuck in their throat. A lot of times you hear like a dog playing with a ball that's a little bit undersized that all of a sudden gets jammed up. And I personally know of dogs who have lost their lives that way. So it's a pretty serious issue. Yep. Well, I've heard about it. I don't know any dogs that have done it. But yeah. I, heard I know about, a lot more I had a people in the dog world than a, Scott. The dogs were playing with the ball at the um, dog park, threw a tennis ball, there were multiple balls, so the dog picked up the ball, and he was a real ball dog, and he ran and picked up another tennis ball, which forced the first tennis ball down his throat, and the dog died at the dog park. Yeah. So kind of, huh? by, by uh, Now, if they had the you know. breathe right ball... Yeah. <laughs> You could have had a half a dozen of them stuck Give in Give them a gander, though. I like them. Um, I've been using them. Um, it is a serious topic. And there's this video going around on Facebook. You can probably, like, Google it or look at it on YouTube or something. But, like, they're actually, like, flipping dogs over and pushing up on the ball if it's lodged and stuck. Because it's a serious issue, and obviously you don't have a lot of time if it happens. But if you're going to be preventative, just pick up the breathe right balls. Right, love? Well, I always prefer to have a ball on a rope. That yeah, way, when it's halfway like down so his throat, I can just pull it out. Right out. All right, let's talk about food and training. Okay. Where do we where do we God, lie? where do we begin? Where do we Well, lie on I would this topic? say um, starting with a puppy. Mm-hmm. I think food is an ideal way to get a puppy started doing yep. all kinds of behaviors. You can lure a lot of behaviors and um, that's definitely the way I would start every every puppy. And we're talking yeah. Eight weeks to and you're two, putting three in a months, really positive even, association on a lot of things like meeting new people and oh sure yeah but even with my recalls I can remember with all of my dogs for the first I don't know at least a year every time I'm calling that dog generalizing that recall in different environments I'm using well until I get them my dogs are all toy dogs so until yeah. I get their toy drive to a point where it's crazy crazy I'm using food and then shifting over to the toys. So you use food for that. But I would say personally, when we train our own dogs or even client dogs, we use food 99.9% of the time, I'd say. Yeah. I use food, especially if the dog is motivated yeah. by treats. Yeah. Anytime Scott's if going not, to the house. Then, then we're not using it. But Anytime Scott's going to a house to do an eval with a dog he hasn't met before, he'll always have a treat pouch. He's carrying string cheese around right now. It's already pre-sliced. And a lot of times it helps diffuse a situation. Like if a dog is coming at him pretty like 
powerfully, you know, maybe it's on leash if the person told Scott it was aggressive before. But if the dog has a lot of presence and they're barking like crazy and Scott can just put a piece of food in its yeah, mouth. At that point, I'm standing on the roof of my car. <laughs> no, but it, it can diffuse a lot of situations. Or another good indicator is if the person is holding the dog on leash and then like the dog's freaking out, acts like it's, you know, freaking got rabies. And if Scott throws a piece of cheese in the ground, sometimes the dogs will like shift out of that mode and start eating. And if they can even eat in that moment, if they're really not that high and they can actually want the food and digest it, then that's always a good sign, I'd say. Yeah, there is kind of a fine line there because you, you know, some trainers would say, well, you're rewarding the aggressive behavior by giving the dog food. Oh yeah, but you only do it once just to evaluate what's going on. My thought process in doing that is to shift the dog out of this territorial, fearful, aggressive uh, state into, oh, what's that? Uh, I'm going to start eating these treats. Yeah. And the funny thing, I think it's coming up more and more um, now, is that a lot of people just don't understand that some dogs will not eat treats. Like, it, it, it's it's not that they're environmental. It's not that they're overfed. It's not that it's not the right treat. Like, there are some dogs that are honestly so shut down, for the lack of a better word, just leaving their home that they don't eat treats. Some dogs don't eat treats in the home. Like people can be doing everything right. The dog doesn't have to have anything wrong with it medically. There's not that like food drive within the dog. Like this is legitimately a thing. And they, you know, eat enough in their meals that they're getting calories and they're getting enough nutrition. But it's not like every single dog, of course they love cookies. Like, oh, use hot dogs. Oh, skip breakfast and the dog will eat. Like there are honestly some dogs that would not eat food for like a year straight. Like that's just how dogs are sometimes, especially well, with different levels of anxiety and fear and everything else. That's very exceptional. Though. It is, but it exists and people don't understand that it does exist. We've had dogs in for boot camp before that have not taken a treat the entire time. Yes, but what I find more interesting from a training perspective are the dogs that won't take a treat because they are so anxious or scatterbrained yeah. uh, that they can't even... They just can't even wrap their head around even taking a treat. Everything is, they're just all over the place. Mentally, they're everywhere. And just by getting them back under control, maybe just putting them into a sit and making them sit through whatever means possible, keeping them in a sit for just, you know, a few moments. And then uh, all of a sudden they're like, oh. Yeah, they decompress enough. Oh, you have food? Okay, I'll have some. They decompress enough to eat. No, that is a situation. Or sometimes like it's a really good indicator the dog won't take food from a stranger or a vet or a vet tech or the groomer or anybody, the trainer. And then the owner offers food and the dog will always take food from the owner. So you can learn a lot about dogs and gauge, you know, where they're at with their, I don't know, emotional states or whatever else with food. But if you can use it in training, it's rarely a hindrance. But when it is a hindrance, let's talk about that. Let's talk about when food is too much with clients. Well, and- before I talk about the hindrance, it just made me think about uh, food and dogs. It's such a powerful thing uh, if used correctly or, yeah. or incorrectly. It's, yeah. it's powerful either way, either for you or against you. But there's a lot of these protection dogs that I mean, I've seen it from these reality TV shows where, you know, this dog is supposed to be protecting a house or a yard or, you know, an auto shop. And they'll go in with steak and stuff. And the dog will just start eating the food yeah. and not and not protect anything. They yeah. could literally take a they car out shift. while they're yeah. just throwing meatballs to the dog, yeah. you know. So it's a strong thing to train a dog to ignore also. You got to be, that's a lot of training, just that, where yeah. they do not take a treat from anybody. They don't pick food up off the ground. That's a lot of work, too. Yeah, like ideally, any dog working at the airport, any dog working in the police force, these yeah. dogs should possess these qualities. It depends on the level of well, training. Well, training, yeah. And but. then as far as it being a hindrance, the reason that we decided to talk about this today is because I was training with a client 
at a um, public trail where they, you know, the dog was reactive in public places and we had done a lot of training. So I said, okay, let's get out to the trails and work with this dog. And um, the dog did fine and the dog did have, uh, did have some environment, like it, this train happened to be by a train station. So the train was coming by, the dog got nervous about the train, understandably. But the interesting thing was the person f- through previous training, I said, tell your dog to down. The dog downs in the heel position, and he's so quick to be grabbing at his food pouch that he's distracting the dog from the down. The dog is now stopped, you know, with his elbows two inches off the ground, looking up like, "Oh, you're going to give me a treat." So uh, he was, cons- uh, so he was distracting the dog from completing the exercise by going too quickly to the food, and then he was telling me, he said, "Well." Doesn't the dog have to be rewarded within this two-second time of when it does the behavior? Otherwise, it doesn't connect the food reward with the behavior. And I'll leave that in your lap, and you can well, tell us we what were, you feel about we that. We were discussing that. And first of all, anything you're going to read on the internet in any way, shape, or form with dogs, you know, if you want to take it with a grain of salt or you want to take it to heart, I would just do a little research about who posted that article, how they're working with animals and everything else. And yes, in an ideal world, the sooner you reinforce, the more clear the dog is in understanding why they earned the reinforcement. But if it's going to mess up what's happening in the middle of the behavior or you rushing is causing more stress, it's much better to slow down, be more mindful of your mechanics, reach in slowly. And there's even some dogs, I would say, more like labs and goldens, I can remember, that like the dog's sitting next to the owner perfectly and then the owner reaches for the treat. The dog gets up excited to get the cookie. Now we got to go back to the sit. So now if it's really becoming a thing, like you can't even reward the sit because the dog's coming out of the sit to get the cookie. Yes, of course, that's a training issue. But maybe at that point, once you get a sit, you can just say, good job, Rover, and then keep working through it. Like if food is a distraction and what you're trying to reinforce now, the dog's breaking that position because it sees the food, then I would say put it away for a bit and kind of recalibrate with how you want to approach things and work on your mechanics separate from the dog. That's like a huge thing. No one does that. When I used to play Frisbee as a young girl, like I'd go out and do my routine without my dog all Many the time. Many moons ago. <laughs> now I'm an old lady. But, you know, that's a thing. Like you, you should be practicing mechanics of whatever you're doing with training without your dog there. And if you're having trouble with your food, literally Scott does this all the time. He like takes the dog and he's like, okay, go do this. Pretend like the dog's on a leash or he'll act like the dog and he'll be at the end of the leash. Like there are things where sometimes you just need to practice separate from your animal as well. And it also goes back to what we've talked about ad nauseum about being present in dog training. So he he was, uh, this particular person was going for the food before the exercise was completed, anticipating the dog was going to do it correctly. Rather than waiting until the dog has done it correctly, pausing for a second, a second is a long time, and then going for your food. And also, you know, just being prepared for, if you're going to work through these food distractions, because that's what it is now, knowing that when you reach in for the food, there's a possibility the dog may break, and then you're going to work through that so that you can use food productively. And I think uh, Susan Garrett was doing this with the puppies where very early on with a puppy, the the pile of food is right beside the puppy. The puppy is learning, you don't get to touch that food. That food comes through me when I'm ready to give it to you. And it's all building this great foundation of being able to use food productively throughout the dog's entire life, you know? Yeah, I think that would be like an it's your choice kind of game if you look on YouTube. All right, let's go to break. And when we get back, we're going to unhash this a little more. Does your dog lack self-control? 
Are you looking for some answers? Would you like your dog to be calmer? Does your dog lack confidence? Canine Mind Shift. Enroll in a free course today. Simply go to caninemindshift.com. That's caninemindshift.com. All right, we're back. Let's talk about what kind of food to use, because this is something that frequently comes up. I think we should unhash this a little bit more. <laughs> He's making um, fun of me because I said a word that doesn't exist. From my, Not the um, first time. From my perspective, when I think about food and training, I'm thinking about dogs that will dissolve quickly in the dog's mouth. Food as opposed, that will, yeah. Yeah, food uh, as opposed to a treat that may take some time to um, crunch for up. them to crunch up and eat. Yeah. So if they're doing behaviors, obedience behaviors like sit or down, I don't want to give the dog a cookie that may crumble and then fall on the ground. And then I wouldn't let my dog eat the crumbs off the ground, first of all. That would be established long ahead of time. But most people do. The dog crunches the cookie, it falls on the ground, then they let the dog eat the cookie off the ground because they feel like I gave it to him. That was the reward. So he needs to be able to enjoy his reward when he's breaking the behavior that you actually were rewarding in the first place. Yeah, or so, if it's super dry, and then, like, now the dog's, like, like Yeah, and hacking. also not too small. I, you know, yeah, that's I hate a good it. point, yeah. I hate um, people come out with these, like, BB-sized friggin' <laughs> treats that cost them 20 bucks for the bag, and they're giving a German Shepherd something that he can just about inhale, you know? Yeah. So if, I'm, if I have a... I, I like, if I'm cutting up treats, I like them to be thin, but good size, so it can actually get on their whole tongue. They can taste it and enjoy it, but it will disappear quickly. And then as far as the cookies and the crunchy stuff, I'd be more inclined to use them on, if I was teaching a bed exercise, like get on your bed, here, yeah. crunch that up. I don't care if it takes you a few moments to crunch it up and makes a little bit of mess. It's no problem. The criteria is just don't get off the bed. Yeah. You know? And people often ask, like, oh, what do you use? Like, you know, the dogs seem to love what you have. So there was a pretty long phase there that we were getting natural balance rolls and we were getting them wholesale and giving samples to our clients. There was another phase where we were getting Happy Howie's rolls and then sending home samples, especially for our boot camp dogs. Honest to God, right now we're using string cheese and it's the easiest like thing to deal with for me. There's been shipping issues with COVID. The string cheese is super affordable. Scott can put it in his mouth. If he's hungry during the day, he can have some um, string cheese. I don't like hot dogs or yeah, a good like alternative, it. but they're <laughs> so slimy. Like, like yeah. I'm always got paper towels yeah. in my pocket because my hands are covered with hot dog slime and dogs licking my hands. So, and the other thing is depending on what type of training you're doing, if you're into competitive obedience, most trainers I know that are com competitive trainers are putting food in their mouth. Yeah. It's certainly for the front. You know, they look down, they And like for me, I'm all about the string cheese because I don't eat meat, so I don't want a freaking hot dog in my mouth, even if it's for my dog's training. So I have like a thing there. But a lot of people I feel like really fall under like the pretense of all the marketing and stuff for the treats. And not that that's an issue. It's not that companies don't make great treats, but like you can use a lot of human grade stuff and you can make a lot of your own dog treats with human ingredients. Like, you know, we always say for recalls, if you save a piece of steak from the night before, a piece of salmon that doesn't have bone in it and everything else. And I totally understand 
not wanting to upset your dog's stomach. But the longer that we're at this, the more that we're thinking all the elimination diet stuff and a lot of stuff, a lot of times the GI stuff is coming from stress much more so than it's coming from diet. So yeah, nothing to do with, very little to do with diet. From what we see a lot of times. Yeah. There's dogs have gone on, you know, months and year long journeys. And then if they just get their, you know, kind of brain stabilized and their emotional state stabilized and some structure in their lives, things get better. So I would say, go ahead. I just want to say as far as quality of treats, um, it's not unusual to spend 15 or 20, 18, 19 bucks on a bag of treats. And uh, I, you could buy a, a package of stew meat, which yeah. is also expensive. Yeah. But after you've cooked it up, you know, we'll boil up the stew meat. And then each block is huge. So each block of stew meat, we're cutting into maybe eight or 10 yeah. smaller pieces. You're getting a lot of stuff there. It's good. The dogs love it. Another thing I wanted to say about food training I've had so many people show up with like baby carrots and things like that. And they're like, oh, my dog loves carrots. I'm not saying the dog doesn't love carrots. Dog probably really enjoys carrots. But I have not seen a dog that would take carrots over stew meat or any type of meat product. Yeah. Ever. I've you just do. Not and that brings it. up a good point that you need to know the value of the reward, right? So if your dog likes carrots, your dog will eat carrots. Then maybe like while we're teaching the leave it exercise, we would use a carrot for the dog to peel off of and they get rewarded with stew meat at the other end. Like you need to know my dog likes this the most. This is my dog's highest value reward. Cooked organ meat is its absolute favorite thing. Some dogs like beef liver treats. There's all these different things and start to play around with it and know. And is it that, you know, you had a steak that came off the grill and it's juicy and rare and the dog freaking goes crazy for that? Awesome. Use that for what matters most to you, whether it be your recall training or this new behavior you're trying to teach or conditioning the dog to a crate or any of these types of things. Like think about what do I need most? What is my strongest desire? And I'm going to use the food there. I would say at this point, our dogs will pretty much take anything and enjoy anything, but they're going to enjoy a piece of freaking cooked steak a lot more than those dry Charlie bears or something else. So play around with what works for your dog, but don't feel like you have to get sucked into this. Like Scott said, buying a bag of treats for 15 to $20 that are gone right away that really have a lot of ingredients in it that we don't even know. They're not sourced as well as human stuff. So check out, you know, lunch meat, cheese, a lot of dogs sometimes like peanut butter, even that squeeze cheese stuff you can put, like get creative with stuff and see what your dog specifically enjoys. Yeah. And then this takes me to, I guess we could talk about, um, cause we, is it fair to say we've covered a fair amount of different foods, the treats yeah. I can use, um, this whole philosophy about using food and training or not using food yeah. and training. And the argument that I've always heard from dog trainers that hate using food and training. And this even goes back to when I first started training, doing Schutzen with, uh, uh, and I trained with a gentleman who spent several years in Germany, a uh, very good trainer. And he actually had a t-shirt that said, uh, no hot, like hot dogs with a circle and a slash through it. It was like, <laughs> he was so anti-food. It just drove him crazy. If anybody pulled out a treat for their dog, because in Germany, they didn't use treats. And I think that the feeling is that there people that don't don't believe in using treats. The argument I always hear is that the dog won't work without the treats, and that just gets back to, in my mind, luring versus reward. Yeah, a lot of people so, like are bribing their dogs, right? If you're like, luring, I mean, that's what we do within a puppy class: is you lure, follow my food over here, follow this over yeah. there, go into a sit, get your treat. But if you don't transition to a reward-based system fairly quickly, 
If you do lure-based training for six or eight months, you're going to be screwed when there's no food. Like, yeah. you, you don't have anything here for me. What the hell am I doing? Yeah, or a lot of people like the dogs outside. Dog won't come in, you know, come on, come on in, whatever, Rover, we can use again. And then the dog doesn't come in. They get the treats. They start shaking the treats. So they're like using the food as a bribe. And yes, it's hard to get away from the food with that. But if the treat pouch that you put on makes a change in behavior with your dogs, or if food is in your hands and you have a change of behavior with the dogs, it's the way that the training was implemented. It's not the use of food itself. I remember when we had our facility in Lowell, I had um, one of my longtime students come and she was, you know, really well known with the MSPCA. She was the training director there. And she's like, oh my God, your dog works so great. Like, can you put your bait bag over on the windowsill and what will he look like? And I put the bait bag there, the ball there, everything. And I went and I did the same thing and there was no change in his behavior. So a lot of this is how we're showing food, how we're using food. And like Scott said, if you just have a piece of food on that dog's nose for six months, that doesn't mean now on month seven, the dog is going to go out and do perfect loose leash walking. Like when you're using food, food, yeah, when you're using food as a reward and when you're being smart about how you're using food, that makes all the difference. And some of this stuff with like bat training, like this is the type of thing where like you're- What is bat training? I'm explaining I thought we were training dogs. (laughs) For, it's, it's a method for d- reactive dogs, right? What does that right? stand for? So there's a huge distance. I'm not even sure right now. Okay. You're throwing me under the bus with my acronyms all the time on the podcast. Okay. So we, you have two dogs very far distances away from each other, right? And you're trying to like get them acclimated and reward and increase distance when there's an issue. Sometimes when you're feeding a dog in that kind of a setup, you don't know what state of mind you're feeding, right? Same thing as you're on the street and you're like, oh my God, a dog's coming. I'm going to start throwing food in the dog's mouth because I don't want the dog to react. You could actually be reinforcing your dog amping up and getting all like in this state of like go mode. You know what I mean? So you really need to be conscientious and know what you're looking at when you use food too, because you can easily reward a state that you don't want to reward. We always talk about rewarding fear. People say, oh my God, you can't do that. Well, if the dog's shaking and trembling and you're just giving it cookies the whole time, you are reinforcing the state that that dog's in. So just be thoughtful of these types of things. Not only what treats you're using when, but where and how you're using it. And if you're confused about how you're using food or you think you're not using it right, you should totally have a relationship with your trainer that you can take a quick video, send it over. We do that all the time with our clients. And So annoying. Oh, stop it. We invite it. We, we honestly were just on the phone last night. I was in a freaking robe. We FaceTimed a client that had a dog with a swollen eye and we FaceTimed and we were dealing with that whole thing before, you know, I mean, emergency vets right now are super backed up, but also they reached out and they needed help and we were there. So if you cannot have a relationship with your trainer that you are paying to be like, hey, here's a 30 second video of me doing this. Am I doing something wrong? You should be able to get feedback from that. I'm not saying you should be sending your trainer every single freaking training session you're doing and they're reviewing hours of video for you on top of everything else. But if it's something about mechanics that you're not getting separate from a lesson, one, video yourself, look and see how you're doing it. And then two, reach out and ask for help because it doesn't need to be an all or nothing situation. And Scott is right. There are a lot of trainers out there that are like, you know, food is like the problem of everything and it's going to be the worst thing for dog training. I don't see that. Um, I don't see you seeing that when you train dogs. No, but let's get back to training with food rather than the trainer side of it. I mean, one thing that I saw early, it was like in 2007, I was at the uh, Clicker Expo and Ken Ramirez was doing a presentation and he was talking about uh, secondary reinforcers. So he did this thing where he gave, he gave this dog a treat clapped his hands, gave the dog a treat, clapped his hands, did this about 10 times. And then um, the dog was like left. This is, he had a video and the dog was in another part of his house and he just goes, the dog comes running, 
wanting a treat because the dog is associating that clapping with the reward. So the dog is, in a sense, becoming physio- developing a physiological response to mm-hmm. the secondary reinforcer. And that's kind of what a clicker is too, in a sense. They click, they hear it, that's, they marked it because the dog has a positive association with the clicker that's built in from the food. Mm-hmm. But there, that's why there's no rush to immediately reward either because they rewarded it with the secondary reinforcer. They can take their time with the food after that. Yeah, but even if, if we're going to go with rewarding and timing and everything else, if a dog is lying on a bed and they're relaxed in a bed for 10 minutes and you go in in that 12th minute and you reward that relaxed state of mind, it's not a real big timing situation. You know what I mean? Like this whole thing about, oh, like what am I rewarding? Where am I rewarding? Sometimes dogs are far enough away from you that it takes, you know, X amount of seconds for them to get back. So don't get too caught up in the minutia of those things. Look at what you're rewarding. See how your dog's behavior is changing. And if your dog doesn't like what you're using for food, switch it up. Get creative. Look at some recipes. Dip some stuff in freaking, you know, greasy freaking, we cook stew meat and then we use that broth with something else. We'll like roll stuff in it. Get it exciting. Get it smelling good. Get the dog enjoying it. And like Scott said, have something that's nice and soft. But at the end of the day, if you don't use food, we respect that and that's fine. But from where we come from as trainers, we always say, you're going to go to work and you're either going to go to work and get paid or you're not going to go to work and you're going to get fired. So Using food, yes, you don't want to be married to the food. You don't want everything else. But dogs also need to be reinforced for good behavior. Dogs are not going to work for 15 years for a freaking good boy pat on the head, and that's well, that. Some dogs will, but very few. I mean, some dogs find that physical you know, attention very rewarding, but a lot are pretty independent. But I was going to say also that I've had, not a, not a lot, but I'd say probably 10%, you know, 1 in 10, We'll say, oh, I don't, do I have to use food? When can I stop using the food? Oh, such a hassle for me to have food. Nobody ever buys a treat pouch on their own unless they get kind of shamed into getting a treat pouch for themselves. And um, like Jess said, the dog, you know, you don't go to work unless you get paid, but also there's a consequence. If you don't go to work, you're going to get fired. So if you're not going to put, if you're not going to reward your dog, most people don't want to put the consequence yeah. either. So now they're not rewarding and there's no consequence. Yeah. And surprisingly, the dogs don't work. <laughs> they don't but do also, a damn thing. If your dog is going to be doing something brilliant, like our dogs, I would say, are very well trained. They're at all their brilliant. Level. We yes. just took Jimmy on a hike together. He's nine. We rewarded his recall when we got there. We weren't concerned that he wouldn't recall, but why not reinforce what you want to see out of the dog every now and then? Like, I love rewarding good behavior out of my dog. If my dog's going to do something fast and snappy, I'm going to still reward that because I'm impressed by that and I want that to keep staying at that level or keep getting better. So be conscientious that like, hey, like, yeah, my dog's not listening anymore. Like, oh, my dog always needs the remote if they're wearing an e-collar. When is the last time you rewarded something? Like, we all just expect that it's going to be great. Now, with that said, I do not expect someone who has a so-called well-trained dog to have to need to use food. If I go to Home Depot with my dogs, I don't make sure I have food and have a big bait bag and everything else. If I have a piece of cheese or something, fine, I'll throw it in my pocket. But that's not the precursor to me being able to go out in public and have my dogs be well-behaved. However, why not throw them a bone every now and then for the lack of a better phrase? Like if they're doing something great and you're proud of it, let them know. So they keep repeating that same behavior. Yeah. And when you mentioned that e-collar stuff, uh, on the other side of the spectrum with, if you're going to use an e-collar for, um, come when called quite often people stop pushing the button or stop using the, the tool when the dog is doing the behavior 
And then all of a sudden the behavior gets weak. Yeah. So now they go back to that tool again and then it gets to be like luring. It's like, oh, when the collar's on me, then I, I have to come. But if it's not on me, I don't really have to well, listen. Well, it's similar you know? to what we were saying as far as like, you know, looking for some advice from your trainer or something else. Really, when our clients are having an issue, we always say like, okay, how did you build the behavior? Like what was the foundation of how you got that behavior initially? And, you know, when it turned into something that you liked, the behavior that you liked, the dog being quiet in a crate, the dog holding a sit state, the dog being able to stay in a bed for 20 minutes, loose leash walking, whatever it is, how did you create that? And then you go back to your foundation, you recreate it. And then if it crumbles and falls apart again, or when you don't have food in the dog's face, it falls apart again, reach out for help because there's a missing step there that you can't get over the bridge. And we understand that that happens, but you have to make sure you're progressing and not always just reverting back to that foundation. So where do we stand? We like food. We're big on food. I don't see, in most cases, I would be an advocate for using food. If you're a trainer who doesn't like food, that's more than fine if you're making great progress with your dogs. But I would ask a lot of people why. And if it's that you can never ditch food, then there's a lot of people that can ditch food who trained with food. So uh, I don't necessarily think that's the case. I had a client ask me why why food the other day. Uh, he wanted to reward the dog without food. And I said, the main one of the biggest reasons that I use food with, with pet dog clients is because the dog doesn't understand. Like if you say good boy, like that is not a rewarding phrase for the dog mm-hmm. because people are very stoic. Usually when they're learning, they're very inhibited. So they're like the best, usually they want to, you know, when they follow all over their dog and belly rubs and all this great and the dog's having a great time, that's a reward. The way you're, affect- you're giving the affection at that point. But most people, you know, I tell people after you release the dog, then do the belly rubs, get on the floor with your dog, whatever it is, it makes that dog realize they did a good job and they're happy. But the reason that I use food is because the dog knows instantly, oh, I like that. That was good. And uh, most people, and most, they don't have the relationship with the dog where they can convey to that dog that the dog did a great job. The dog feels very good about what he did just through some verbal cues. Well, and even worse, I would say, since we tapped into this, the relationship that we're creating with our animals sometimes, if we're trying to keep them in a calm state of mind, for example, walking on a loose leash, you want an automatic sit next to you on the street, everything else, it could be just that you go to touch that dog's ear And because of whatever is going on with your relationship and everything else, that dog immediately wants to break the sit, wants more affection, something else. Your affection can actually be a distraction too. So if you're using, if you're thinking about it that way, the food can be more clinical and that literally you're taking a treat out and delivering it and you're not getting into this maybe mindset of like, oh my God, mom, touch me. We're out of the behavior. This is so great. Like, let's have a big love fest. So see what's working, see what's not working, and then adjust. We're constantly adjusting, even with our own personal dogs, not just client dogs. That is the joy of being a dog owner and being a good dog trainer and everything else is always tweaking things so it's going the right direction and it's working out the best possible way for both you and the dogs. Yeah, and I will occasionally I'll get, and quite often it'll be a lab, that is so food motivated, yeah, so can't. driven that it's just too much of a distraction for me to, for me to make some basic headway because every time I pull out food, the dog's just losing his mind. Yeah. You know, so then, I, then, won't, maybe, then I won't use food for and a And then bit. maybe Scott can work through that issue with yeah. a few classes or throughout a boot camp, but then it's a lot for the owner too. So every case is different, but I if you're afraid to use food because you're going to get locked on the food, that's not the case. It's just the way you're training it and using it foundationally to begin with. Yeah, and I think the hardest part of training in general is the maintenance. I always compare it to a diet. You know, everyone's motivated. I'm going to lose 10 pounds. And as soon as they hit that 10 pounds, they're so excited and happy that they've accomplished this goal. But maintaining that weight now is boring. It's yeah. like, oh, we got to eat 
it's just now I have to maintain like this certain lifestyle, which you don't have a goal. The goal is just not to gain weight. <laughs> yeah. That's not really exciting for people. And then inevitably things start to slip. You know? Yeah. All right. Guys, we'll see you next week. Um, happy November. We're into November. We're Thank closing God. out 2021 pretty Bring soon. Bring on the turkey. Yeah. Get your food. Get the dogs happy. And we will see you guys next week. Keep it quirky. <laughs> the views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.